Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's episode 47. It was supposed to be episode 48, but due to some serious technical difficulties with wind at the fitted show, I'm having to save that episode for a re-record this weekend. And so in this episode, I chat with Kyle Patrick, editor and chief of GT Planet. So the name probably leads you to believe, GT being Gran Turismo originally, this episode is about the online world of cars, of racing, and the tremendous amount of enthusiasm that's had for them around the world. We touch on trends in the gaming world and how the online world is integrating some pretty incredible technology to give drivers and simulators some of the same feedback we experience in the real world. Force feedback wheels are one thing, but beginning to feel understeer in a wheel set is pretty damn cool if you ask me. We finish with what Kyle and GT Planet have evolved into, which keeps its roots in Gran Turismo and in the gaming world, but is now impressively crossing over into how cars are behaving in the real world, too. So stay tuned. We've got a great show for you tonight. But before you go, be sure to check out the latest and greatest from Stripe Design. That's Stripe with two eyes. Think about a few famous racing liveries and, and you'll get it. Stripe's producing some of the coolest socks for gearheads and design geeks alike. They're rooted in motorsport and completely fitting for a boardroom. You may even have a chance to drop some knowledge on the next person who points them out because they all have a story. Lastly, if you're listening to this episode on release, make sure that you head out to GameBridge this Sunday. That's GameBridge, not Cambridge. That's this Sunday, June 17th for Drift Jam. I'll be there doing a few on-the-spot episodes, and I promise there'll be good vibes. In fact, good vibes are mandatory. The location is at 2687 Concession Road A in Brecon, Ontario. Spectator gates open at 9.30 a.m., so get there early. And if you have any questions, just hit up Drift Jam HQ on Facebook and you'll be well sorted. Looking forward to seeing everyone there and enjoy the episode. Here tonight with me is Mr. Kyle Patrick, editor-in-chief of an online publication you may know of, GT Planet. So Kyle's been with GT Planet for almost eight years. It's a site that's evolved from an MSN group in 2000 founded by Jordan Greer to a 270,000-strong member community with over 12 million posts and over 300,000 threads today. So needless to say, I think Kyle has a thing or two to share with us about the world of GT Planet cars, lots of them real and simulated. And of course, what they're up to these days. So Kyle, welcome to the show. Oh, hi. So now that we've gone through the kind of general basics, people know who you are, where you're from, what you're mm -hmm. up to. I'm going to rewind and start off with a little bit of your back history. And that starts where I always like to start, which is the beginning. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, what was it that got you into cars? So what was it that inspired or hooked you? Uh, I, I think like a lot of people, it's my dad. Uh, he was really into cars, not so much when I was around by that point, but I mean, he had a lot of great stories to tell, uh, from the muscle car days and he sort of kept that alive in me. He got me like a remote control, uh, Porsche 959 when I was about four or five. Nice. Uh, and yeah. And then video games were also such a, a big thing being a kid out in the country. Uh, and you know, he, he made sure that I had racing games as a steady diet. 
And so, yeah, that's where it really started. That's awesome. Okay, well, that's a really good question then. What were your first racing games? So my first racing game, uh, I can't remember the exact name of it at this point, but it was on his uh, his ancient 486 computer. Oh, wow. Uh, and okay. it was like an F1 game, blocky, sort of three-dimensional. Um, I, I really wish I could remember the name now, but it was uh, it was this one that I would always try and sneak to play. We weren't supposed to install games on the computer, but I, I made sure, made an effort to install it whenever you'd be at work and then try and delete it beforehand just to keep it <laughs> hidden. But of course, you know, I, I wasn't uninstalling it properly, so he always knew, but he let me keep doing it. And then, uh, yeah, I went from that to Need for Speed a little a few years later. And then, of course, uh, Gran Turismo. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Well, it's funny now that you just mentioned that and it kind of dawned on me. I just read an article today. It's from back the kind of end of May, but it was um, Benjamin Hunting, who's a great writer, writes um, for some pretty fantastic publications. He had an article that he'd posted on Auto Guide, which was the top 10 best arcade racing games of all time. Oh, yeah. And so I'll just turn that. It's amazing. I can do this now that we're not recording off of my laptop, but he <laughs> went through. So he went through all, I mean, oh. like, like the title said, top 10 best arcade and racing games. So he's got Daytona USA, Ridge Racer. There were a number of these. I I was um, a bit sheltered in the fact that we didn't really have a video game console until we had a Nintendo. wasn't really allowed to play it. I was the younger of two siblings. And I really didn't get into playing video games until I was in college, which is, I know, crazy for a lot of people. But um, so I didn't get you know much exposure to these. But then, you know, I remember seeing them or seeing my friends playing Sega Rally Championships, Cruising USA. Yeah, I, I, I you know, you, I think that's unmistakable. I was there may have been an arcade in one of the small towns near us that I actually got to sit and play and sit behind the wheel on that one, which. It was like a that was a force feedback wheel, I think, back in those days. I think so, and it definitely had the the shifter too. It did have was, a shifter, which was um, nice. Yeah, San Francisco Rush Extreme Racing. I don't remember that one or Outrun. I don't remember that. Sega Super GT. Um, I wish I could say I remember that, but I don't. Ivan Iron Man Stewart's Super Off Road, Spy Hunter, of course. Yes. Spy Hunter, I did play, and that was only because of someone's older brother. <laughs> I remember playing that pole position that so 1982 oh my god it's older than i am by a year you know it doesn't look <laughs> that bad for 1982 it looks uh it looks pretty decent yeah it's a and, good... and so many of these i'm remembering uh from the palladium days do you remember Sega oh, city in mississauga well, i remember i remember that it existed do i, do I remember <laughs> ever having been there no because i i certainly didn't get to do that <laughs> yeah they would let you uh they had eight moving sleds for daytona usa and uh, you had to pay extra to race in that. And then if you won, you got like a little little car keychain. Uh, it, yeah. it was very cool. Your trophy. So, you know, like a, a kid. Like that was the coolest thing to do. But that was when arcades still existed. Right. And people <laughs> had to leave their homes to go play arcades with some sort of, you know, you know, wheel based input if they yeah. want a racing game. Right. Yeah. Or hold a real or hold a simulated gun to shoot things at a real arcade too like dinosaurs yeah of course dinosaurs yeah uh, <laughs> right, like i say to my son it's a it's a water squirter it's not a gun yeah and he looks at me and he knows it's a gun yeah <laughs> okay so anyways we're getting back <laughs> getting back to the beginning that's always so interesting and especially from a, a gaming perspective what it was that you you know you initially got into i'm trying to think 
oh, I don't want this to be too boring for everyone. Uh, I'll try to remember what it was the first game that I remember playing. I mean, I think honestly, it was probably Mario Kart was one of the first like actual racing games that I, I ended up getting into with anyone. And then later on in life, even in college, that ended up being a great four person drinking game, too. Oh, yeah. Mario Kart was the uh, the game to play in college and in university. My roommate and I, we uh, we had a corner room in the floor. And we just left the door open and we had GameCube and Mario Kart and four controllers. And it was just, that's what we did at least once a week. That's awesome. <laughs> it was between us, I think. I mean, I'm, I sound very dated at this, I'm sure, but it was uh, GoldenEye. It was uh, multiplayer GoldenEye and Mario Kart were the two and Virtua Tennis on Dreamcast. Those were the ones that we played a lot of. <laughs> Those are the gold standard, really. <laughs> they were they were all, I mean, entertaining and great for a bunch of idiots to just you know, waste some time when mm -hmm. we should have probably been studying. Ugh. I digress. Um, okay, so we know what it was that hooked you now. Uh, what was the first car that you either owned or you purchased? I mean, what was it that you got? Like, what was the first thing you got behind the wheel of? Uh, so technically, the first car I learned to drive in was uh, my dad's 96 Hyundai Accent whoa uh yeah it was uh like this weird pinkish shade of red uh <laughs> not even 100 horsepower uh, yeah. no power steering which was interesting all right and i grew up out in hamilton mm -hmm. and the way he taught us how to taught me how to drive was just he'd pick us up on friday you know for the weekend and i'd have to drive up the hamilton escarpment at night uh and that was my training session so it was sort of a trial by fire but you know, it was it was great. It was it was an interesting learning experience. Let's say, I like it. So, okay, did you ever start tinkering with cars? Were you ever working on cars? Is that something that you were interested in or you got involved in when you were growing up? Uh, I saw a lot of it growing up, just being out in the country. A lot of uh, a lot of the cars that we had in the early days, my parents would get fixed from friends of the family and, and things like that. So I saw it around, but I never really had the the inclination or probably even the talent to do something like that so i just left to the people who know best smart i think that's a smart <laughs> move especially if you want to save your time and money yeah i didn't do any tinkering when i was younger either and i mean still even on engines i refrain i've refrained from a long time uh but i i did like getting into some of the body work and suspension uh was always very interesting to me and then of course like wheels and fitment was uh, kind of next up on that list after you got some power and adding brakes and tires i always felt like it was great and then realized the error in my ways which was backwards i should have been doing <laughs> tires and suspension first and then power after but i guess you can't really consider a uh, 130 horsepower uh honda motor powerful <laughs> it is compared to an accent yeah i guess so yeah, that extra <laughs> that extra 30 horse okay so what was the cool car that everyone had to have when you were in high school oh Man, that's uh the one that you 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 were lusting for or lusting after. There was uh there was definitely a lot of Firebird and Mustang talk out in the country. That that made sense. Trucks, yes, yeah. I mean trucks were trucks were a major thing, but they weren't really lusted after so much as just a, like a necessity. Mm -hmm. But the the Firebirds, the Camaros, the Mustangs, and then I definitely remember somebody pulling up to our high school out in the country in a uh, a Viper. No way. Uh, oh, my God. Must I have ha blown people's minds. Yeah. I, I still don't know what the deal was with that all these years later. Uh, maybe a dealer car. Maybe his dad worked there or something. I, I have no idea. But it was, you know, the classic, the one that you always picture of like the mid 90s blue with white stripes. Right. Probably. I mean, 
I'm, I'm, I'm guessing at your age, but I feel like we're probably similar uh, in that respect. And so I imagine it was a first generation Viper at that point too. That I mean, it's an iconic look. Oh but, yeah. And those are super raw cars. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, I've said it before on the show, but there's I've I grew up with a uh, a guy who had the SRT10 Viper truck. <laughs> you know, like. You know, <laughs> Short box standard cab mm -hmm. with a Viper motor, and he used to roll around our high school and just do burnouts to get people to look out the window. It was pretty typical growing up in the country. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so on to something a little bit maybe more modern, which is well, actually maybe not so modern when you think about when it started, but with GT Planet. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know, what exactly is GT Planet? Well, I mean, uh, th those first two letters are, are sort of essential to the the forming of the site uh it was formed as a, a gran turismo fan site uh jordan did it way back at the the turn of the millennium uh <laughs> that's that's an epic term to be able to use isn't it it is yeah it feels good though uh <laughs> and if i remember right i feel like he actually just told me this very recently it was his mom's idea for the name as opposed to his it was uh right around gran turismo 2 uh times and he was you know wanting to do the msn group and this idea of fans being all around the world so gt planet just kind of made sense and so is uh jordan based in the uk is that where he is he's actually uh down in kentucky oh in kentucky why did i think he was in the uk that's so weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have a we have a strong writing element from the uk okay okay yeah. so maybe that's where it's kind of crossed over from mm -hmm. Um, and you'd mentioned how it all got started. Um, I mean, how did you get into journalism? So you're editor in chief at GT Planet. So you have uh, oversight to a pretty broad spectrum of both topics, coverage, and a lot of volume of content too. <laughs> so, you know, getting into that from a journalism perspective, I mean, what, what was it that, that got you that your first kind of, or, you know, you found your footing in terms of journalism? Uh, honestly just volunteering uh with the website um as far back as high school i did decently in english uh, my teachers thought i should go for that going to post-secondary and i just was not interested uh then going to school years later uh for excuse me uh for advertising um i really enjoyed copywriting uh, uh that aspect of it mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. opposed to the the design i i still love design but copywriting always felt like a, a fun little additional thing that I never really realized I enjoyed until then. And it was just, you know, offering some help with the website, with Jordan looking to expand. I wanted to lend a hand. It's been a like basically my home online uh, since it started before social media was a thing. That's just where I went for most browsing, even when I was supposed to be doing something more important. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. And so, yeah, it was just, I, I thought maybe lend a hand, help with these things. And then I sort of fell into this job of sort of running the, the team. And, and he wanted to take more of a hands-off approach to that aspect of the site and focus more on like the coding in the background. And so that's that's how I ended up here. Wow. And so you, you did start writing. That was kind of your first foray into it after you'd been volunteering and kind of just helping him out. You, you were doing a lot of writing at that time? Yeah, yeah, I was writing a fair amount of articles and then it was just, well, I might as well start editing other people's and 
and then just assigning things and doing reviews and and yeah it's it's grown from there and then there's also the whole in, in 2018 i mean there's all the other media side it's not just writing it's everything now yeah of course <laughs> do you remember what your first article was oh uh you know i think it was actually about photo mode competitions uh we we do those oh, cool. yeah. fairly often yeah. in the game because gran turismo has an insanely detailed photo mode uh and the community really took to that nicely back when it came let me think so I think it was Gran Turismo 4 that actually first had a photo mode, and that was in 2005. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it seems silly at the time, but it, it's brilliant in hindsight because it's advertising at the basis level for your community. So people take pictures of these cars because they're proud of owning them in the game, and then they're sharing them everywhere. And so we needed an outlet for that. And a lot of our very creative members wanted to you know, compare, and we'd have themes every week. Oh, and just, cool. uh, wow. You know, work on shooting that and it's surprising how much of an actual artistic background influences these shots so yeah i think you see a lot of creativity from the people who are doing it um a, a good friend of mine and one of my colleagues um was um he ran he was a more than a community manager but he ran um the need for speed community and they're kind of like photo mode but also and now i'm going to butcher it but they're uh I want to say for a lack of better terms, kind of the replay modes and being able to create your own little mini movies out of your own kind of, you know, driving experience with these cars became an entire sub genre of use in the game that people were starting to identify with and spend more time doing that than they were campaigning in the actual game itself. And did you see that or have you seen that as well from the GT perspective as you've been writing about it? Uh, yeah, yeah. The um, we, we like to point out that the photo mode stuff uh, we have a bunch of different sub forums and I, I apologize for getting super nerdy here yeah, for a few minutes. Right. This is the place to do uh, it. So we have a few sub forums in the community for each game. It'll be like, you know, Gran Turismo 5 uh, tuning, Gran Turismo 5 photo mode. Photo mode was usually one of the most popular subsections. Uh, and now in the latest version of Gran Turismo, uh, which is GT Sport, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, they finally, finally have a livery editor. Uh, oh, and cool! That yeah. is wow. It's taken that long for them to add something like that. No kidding. Yeah, uh, but well, I mean, it's good that it's here. They've they've done a really good job with it. Uh, so that's that's nice. Um, and other games too, uh, like Forza, for example, mm -hmm. uh, has a livery editor, and there's an entire community dedicated to that. And and they've really fostered that. The developers have too, because in that game, uh, you can make money in game based on people downloading or using your liveries and so there's just these people who that's their main goal in the game like they're not even making money off of the traditional races they're making it through that and selling it's their liveries with, yeah and it's the same wow. with tuning with setups with that people sell those like it, it creates Holy shit, this, i didn't realize that that was happening too no yeah kidding yeah so it, it's really it's an inclusive thing right like it, it's for people who i mean i'm not saying they're bad at racing they're probably quite good at it as well but it's just this whole other avenue where you don't have to just be good at racing to enjoy the game and to be able to buy everything in it right well i mean i think that it, it's interesting because it, it it mirrors what happens in real life and a lot of cases as well is that you have these people who are super interested in cars and in probably in motorsport in some way shape or form or maybe they're just passionate about the design of cars and they go into just paint and bodywork, or they now are doing you know tuning 
they're not they may not be the best ones on the track but they're supporting this whole culture of you know the car community by doing it and you're seeing that being mirrored in the in the games as well now you're saying that there are you know say somebody can sell or is able to sell a livery or a tuning setup uh i'm such a noob to it or i've been so i've been so removed from it for so long now like what is the currency exchange on that i mean how is that how is that bought and sold uh so for example uh like gran turismo has no economy involved with deliveries it's uh it's you just share it and then other people can use it gotcha. which is which okay. is very great and straightforward there's no like hard think about it uh forza how it works is um you have the option to share any livery that you design mm -hmm. and then the game keeps track of how many times anybody's downloaded it anybody's used it and then there's also you know like a social media kind of like option mm -hmm. with that and so you get different amounts of credits based on that i think the most is if somebody likes it you get the most credits and then every use so if they if they like it and they've used it for 20 races you get credits every time they race very cool yeah it's it's neat to log in and, and get like a little notification just saying oh somebody's used your livery this many times so <laughs> here's credits just deposited into your account it's it, it really makes it feel more like a community which is so much more of a common thing and with online gaming now yeah so you know in the same kind of context of seeing these little I don't want to say these little, but you're seeing the nuances of a culture coming together or that it's come together and it's matured. Mm -hmm. um, what is it from a gaming perspective that you've seen as maybe the most significant leap, um, you know, in simulators, from simulators to the real world, from the real world to simulators? I know it's a pretty broad topic, but, you know, in, in significance and the hierarchy of that, is there anything that really sticks out in your mind that's been happening or has happened recently? Uh, oh. There's, there's a few. Um, I mean, VR is, is such a such a cool, cool experience once you do it, mm -hmm. uh, and provided you don't get sick, of course. Yeah. Uh, I know that's a problem for some people. Mm -hmm. I've done it once in Project Cars. Or no, it was, it was, um, was it Project Cars? No, it was in Dirt. And I had the force feedback wheel and the whole, you know, pedal box and shift setup um, and the VR setup and it was it was overwhelming like i was sweating while i was sitting there playing the game and it is the most it was the closest to being a real experience that i've ever experienced um so i can i can definitely i can i played maybe 10 minutes of it so i have experienced it but are there guys are there guys are there gamers that are super committed to that as their only way of experiencing the gaming yeah vr has become sort of like a it's almost like the Tesla of, of racing games. Ah, it's like people nice. are either yeah. like hardcore into it where they will they will consider sorry, they won't even consider a game if it doesn't have VR support. Wow. It, it's strange seeing that, but it really is, I guess, that much of a game changer for some people. Yeah. I, and yeah. like I understand it. Yeah, the technology's there. It's understandable that if you're gonna do it, why not just immerse yourself completely into it? I mean, nobody's got their keyboard and their mouse playing that kind of similar game or maybe they are still at this point but um you know if you have the option of being as close to in car as possible and that helps you there i, I totally understand where that's going do you, do you see it continuing along in that direction the evolution of the gaming community 
I, I think racing is ideally suited to VR, uh, more so than just about any other genre. Yeah, uh, you're, you're, you're sitting stationary. Um, a lot of people do the, the triple screen setup. Yes, uh, right. And, and that's great. But the thing that I see is there's a lot of people talking about the main drawback with VR is that you're, you know, removed from the world around you. You don't get to interact with anybody nearby. Mm-hmm. But if you're playing racing games, chances are you're not anyway. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, the the many, many, many hours that I've logged with buddies um, playing racing games, it's not a very social activity. It isn't. No. And nobody wants, I mean, the guys, a few of my friends listening to this will laugh pretty hard because I'm usually the one throwing them off their game, trying to talk to them while they're racing, and all they want is to be able to have silence and focus. <laughs> And so I uh, I can I can understand why the isolation of that is also a draw to it. OK, so on that um, on that note, then knowing that that's kind of, you know, it's certainly a trend where things are going. The evolution in tech. So VR is obviously there when it comes to rigs for your home. So home use mm-hmm. uh, is, is kind of the focus of the question. What's ha- what's happening there? I mean, I, I I've I've felt a and i wish i could you know rhyme off the make and model of the the setup that a good friend of mine has but it was epic i it was just it was so close to to actually driving a real car and it felt so good i was i was playing uh, project cars mm-hmm. uh, with this setup and aside from g-force and some sort of feedback in my seat like i the rest of the experience was so damn close and i don't think he spent a fortune necessarily on it but i'm sure you could Oh yeah, yeah. You can spend a small fortune or a large one if you look around at some corners of the internet. Uh, one of the most impressive setups that I've seen is someone, literally on our forums, actually, uh, shameless plug. Uh, he has the front half of a Porsche 911. Come on. In a room, and he's built his <laughs> entire sim rig around that. Uh, it looks incredible. It looks so so cool. Uh, from you know the super nerdy part of me that would want that yeah uh but i uh yeah you you don't have to spend a, a ton on it you can spend you know a few hundred dollars really um it, it's gone up in price compared to a few years ago where a, an easy wheel was 150 dollars or so in canadian uh but the quality has also gone up um i have much to my girlfriend's annoyance, uh, a, a decent setup sitting at home, taking up valuable real estate in our tiny Toronto condo. Right, yeah, uh, they, they they are pretty cumbersome, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah, uh, and it's it was very nicely given to me by some companies for review purposes. Yeah, and I've held on to it, and it's it's fantastic. Like it's it gives me better feedback than some cars do. I mean, obviously the the G forces like the the inner ear senses, those aren't there. But the wheel itself feels really great. And yeah, I think it's, you can do it for a reasonable amount of money. And in terms of hobbies, there are definitely more expensive ones yeah. out yeah. there. Okay, so you, you touched on that. And I've never heard anyone describe it as that kind of inner ear, inner ear feel. And, you know, when you're in a car and having that sensation of lateral G-force, Mm-hmm. The lateral G-force and the road feel, I have felt that in a simulator that Ford has kind of traveled around to a lot of the big auto shows, and I'm sure you'd, well, maybe you'd know the technical term for it, but it is 
this kind of like gyroscopic rig that really as you're driving is giving you um, the movement that you would feel simulated in a car and the vibration and the uh, rattles of hitting different road surfaces and that kind of stuff. And I think a bit of the lateral G-force, but you still can't get that, that um, you know, that sensation of speed of that movement. Have you seen anything or do you know if there's anything that is uh, is being developed or is maybe in some sort of experimental phase that is playing with the, the inner ear in a different way, the way that VR is playing with our, our, our vision? Uh, not that I know of too deeply. Uh, I know the, the folks at Gran Turismo were working on a very, very complicated rig setup involving, I think it was six or seven pneumatic devices underneath the seat that uh the goal was to simulate uh the loss of grip at the rear of a car so simulating oh, oversteer cool. through the movement yeah uh, and i remember this because i wrote an article about it or edited an article about it a year or two ago but it was at the tokyo game show uh and so it's never come anywhere close where i could see it firsthand yeah but and, and i heard it was exorbitantly expensive of course yeah. Uh, but, everything is at the beginning yeah, yeah but that one sounded really interesting to me because i think that is the the loss of grip is is a major thing that doesn't come through no matter what sort of setup you have but uh yeah I you're mean, so right that that's the one thing that you really miss is feeling the rear of a car sliding out i mean over the front of a car or understeer or any of those sensations mm -hmm. uh their their new wheel has um Cliffney worked with thrustmaster one of the uh mm -hmm. uh peripheral developers uh for their new wheel that is paired with gran turismo sport and it has a secondary motor inside that is supposed to simulate understeer oh no uh, way and yeah and so it vibrates at this certain frequency and uh kazunori yamauchi the uh mm -hmm. the grandfather Founder. of yeah. gran turismo yeah. yeah he he described it as sort of halfway between a vibration and a sound and it it's weirdly it's a very, very stoic accurate, of him he's very yeah, stoic yeah, in the first it's, place it's a very accurate <laughs> description and we were driving with it at e3 last year so just about exactly a year ago and it, it was like as soon as you realize you were asking too much of the front tires you got this sort of very strange sensation and it felt like something was sort of wrong because you've never experienced that with a steering wheel in a sim before but then you realize oh that's actually the intentional uh part of the game and yeah it's it's encouraging to see these sorts of things because i think it can translate well and sort of give people not the exact idea but a closer idea of what to expect with the real world yeah oh that's so exciting it's funny i'm legitimately excited about that as a development because having played and understood what that feeling is like in a couple of different scenarios that is one of the ones that's definitely missing that seems like an easy or a an easier fix the rear wheel loss of grip is a really difficult thing i think that unless you have a very sophisticated and complicated rig and it's you know the seating's attached and all that kind of stuff the understeer is one it's as dangerous as oversteer can be and if you're learning and it's a simulation i mean why not add that to it that's really cool mm -hmm. because that was one of my questions um coming into this next set which was kind of a predictable step in racing technology, racing sim technology for consumers. So I think that kind of answers that one. But in terms of the evolution or progression that might not be so predictable, I don't know that there's a lot of people out there that would have the same kind of line that you have on, on what's happening in the industry. And you may not be able to say anything about it, but is there anything out there that 
you if you were able to kind of predict or or bet on right now that nobody's paying attention to or really isn't all that popular is there anything in that world that you'd share with us in in sim racing honestly uh no i i think um i think a lot of the stuff out there is like a lot of the developers are very upfront about what they're aiming for uh and specifically that side of racing games where they're aiming for realism they're you know understandably proud to sort of trumpet their achievements to everybody when uh when it happens so um yeah that makes sense so like the big thing right now is esports. Is e Everybody loves that. And not so much in the racing genre. <laughs> it's still yeah. growing, but mm -hmm. other genres. And so I think uh, that's probably where this genre is going. Not exclusively, hopefully. Uh, but they're they're sort of adapting and, and making that more of a viable option with um, you know algorithms to decide how clean a racer is. So it pairs you off with someone who's more like you uh, or as quick as you. And I think that is a really great concept. Uh, Gran Turismo, that's that's what sport is entirely based around. Uh, and I think it's a really good idea because, you know, nobody wants to play a game and, and just get beat constantly. And, and nobody, I think the opposite is true too. Nobody wants to play and constantly just dominate the other other people. It gets boring. So I, I disagree with that. I would happily <laughs> I would happily sit down and win every time and feel really good about that. But I see where you're coming from on it. So what's happening is the kind of the algorithms are starting to even the playing field a little bit more when it comes to real competitors in that sense. And now just so I'm sure that we're uh, sorry, I'm thinking about it in the right sense. When you're saying esports, again, you can tell just how many video games I play these days. Um, you're talking um, human to human competition. And, and in some cases, that competition being for, you know, for sport, but also for money. And mm -hmm. there's, I mean, you've got a lot of professional gamers out there. And I know it from the first person shooter world. And you get the, you know, Call of Duty professional gamers that are just phenomenally talented and real and they're making great money and they're winning and um i wish i could remember the name of the other game that is the pinnacle of e-sports um why am i forgetting the name of that it doesn't matter i won't bring it up right at this point because it's not about cars but um <laughs> is that um because that rolls us again we're doing a really nice job of rolling into the next question which Excellent. is the um the balance that's being struck between the simulation world of gaming and um, the real world. And mm -hmm. I followed it fairly closely and in a lot of ways because of my connection with Nissan as a manufacturer. And I was doing a lot of the work on their advertising account here in Canada. So I had exposure to GT Academy mm -hmm. and I was watching that pretty closely. And I thought that was just such a phenomenal experiment because I had grown up with a lot of people who played Gran Turismo exclusively and still to this day live and die by it and then I've seen a lot of the other camps but then it, seeing that translate into real people in real cars driving at very competitive races and in some cases winning or podium or top 10 or whatever it happens to be do you see that happening more often or um, where do you see that state of the industry living? Because I honestly, maybe I'm not following it close enough, but I don't know that I've seen a lot of that continue on from beyond that experiment. No, I, I think GT Academy sort of, I mean, it proved itself. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think anyone that was involved with it will disagree with me. And I hope I'm not saying anything too controversial here. Uh, <laughs> Let it fly. But, uh, yeah. 
No, I, I know someone who actually, uh, he, he was part of another website, a smaller group of uh, Gran Turismo fans that mm-hmm. we all hung out for years online. Uh, I know one of the guys who, who won one year. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was it was very cool. He was incredibly quick in the game. And, and you know, then we found out, like, oh, man, he, he just made it the whole way. Uh, but I don't think anybody would be too bothered by me saying that the, the best part about the GT Academy program, it wasn't so much that people were, you know, learning how to be fast in a race car through a game. It was just that the game was functioning as a very effective tool to find these people with skill sets that would translate to racing. But they... Like racing is, as we know, is like a, an incredibly expensive sport to oh, get into. Unbelievable. And, yeah. and so this was a, a whole new way to to hunt for talent and find these people with latent skills that they just needed that opportunity to shine. And I, I think it did a great job over the years and, and sort of proved itself. And so, yeah, we haven't heard a whole lot about GT Academy in the last year or two, uh, but I don't think it really had anything left to prove. I think at the point when... Uh, when some of the GT Academy grads were no longer allowed to be classified as amateurs in races, I think that was that was it. That was like, wow, what I else do you have left to do? I didn't I didn't realize that um, I didn't realize that was the evolution of it, and that's what had happened. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I yeah. The the whole idea of that project was fascinating to me, and I of course always wanted to be that one. But I, I feel like I'm better in a real car than I am in in actual gameplay. But that's just a lack of of uh, of experience behind the wheel on a simulated world. Mind you, I'm not saying that I'm a fantastic wheelman in a real car either. But I do like to have fun on both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so is your is your go to game Gran Turismo? I know you obviously you have. Uh, you 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 have the origin story of the the whole site and and the um, the property with GT Planet, but when we talk about it, I like to split it into kind of three categories: full simulation, so closest to real life, mm-hmm. most arcade-like, so the opposite end of the spectrum, and then kind of balance of both. And maybe there's maybe one does all of them in different gameplay or something along those lines. But mm-hmm. what's your perspective on that? Uh, so. I mean, we, we like to say now uh, when it when it suits us that the GT and GT Planet, it, it's for, you know, like the same thing that you see on the back of a car. It's for Grand Touring. Uh, yes. <laughs> because yes. we've expanded. And I mean, mm-hmm. Grand Turismo will always hold a, a very special place for me. Uh, it was the game that got me obsessive about cars, that made me read the details because the first game had this really cool little feature of just being able to read the info mm-hmm. and the history of every single uh, model in the game and, and so that's stuck with me since then uh yeah i was better at that part of the game <laughs> than i was the actual gameplay itself um but in terms of having like a go-to i, I know it's going to sound like a cop-out but i i just like playing so many of them now uh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's weird um a few months ago back in fall of 2017 uh, Project Cars 2, Forza 7, and Gran Turismo Sport all came out within a month of each other. And that's never happened before. And, and you know, they're competitors, but also maybe because I'm, you know, so immersed in it and, and so used to playing all these games. <laughs> we're, just, we're talking about racing and my cat decides to do like a full sprint. First drift, drift, then sprint, then stair climb. Um, I like that. We got all aspects of her agility there for us in the background. <laughs> so I hope everyone enjoyed that. Yeah, that was, I think she clipped the apex there yeah, right around, yeah, right yeah, going she, around the stairs. <laughs> she did. Uh, she just likes to have a cameo every once in a while. So, uh, yeah, I, so anyway, the, the three games, they're actually 
quite different from each other, even though it didn't necessarily seem like that prior to launch. And and so I enjoy each one of them for different reasons and all the other games that are, are out there. Uh, but yeah, I, I can't say I have one. And in terms of that that spectrum of, of arcade and sim, uh, I think another potentially controversial uh, response to that is that it doesn't matter really where all of them fall. They are all so close to each other compared to driving a real car. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, um, I finally, after years, played iRacing last summer uh, on the PC and just drove, I think, just a, an MX-5, a Miata, mm-hmm. around Mosport, and mm-hmm. it was so enjoyable. Uh, and it's not even going that fast. Uh, FAF has a, a Porsche simulator set up at their uh, northern location, mm-hmm. and the same track, driving in a 911 GT3 is bliss <laughs> for lack of a better word uh and and yeah and then way over on the other side i mean there's need for speed there's oh of course right i always yeah. forget about the need for speed again even though sorry greg i know you're listening but i always forget about need for speed <laughs> yeah i mean it does the the car culture aspect and the customization thing really mm-hmm. well um and i think in in terms of the sweet spot between them it would probably be i mean gran turismo and, and forza Forza being formed is essentially like Microsoft's response to Gran Turismo back in the day. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. It It's a smart move because, I mean, I, I think Gran Turismo picked this spot where it's not quite a full-on sim. I mean, it's very realistic, and it's more than realistic for most people, but it's not off-putting, and so you can get a wide user base, and that's reflected in its sales because it's just a monster in that term. Mm-hmm. And, and Forza is the best-selling racing game on the other system right so i I think they've found a nice sweet spot where it's accessible without being off-putting yeah i always um i mean this is my and for any of the gamers that are out there that will you know shred me over it but i always found because i always liked gran turismo um, for its authenticity Mm -hmm. and but i also liked to have there was a little bit of the uh you know, turn it up to 11 and let the car really, you know, slide. But you're not, if you were doing it in a real sim, the car would be, you know, into a wall in a second. Whereas with Forza, I, I found that you had, you could get a little bit more loose uh, and it, it would help to save you or allow you. Um, but at the same time, they did sound really well. Mm-hmm. And I know there are many people that would debate me on that until the day that they die and I die. But in the early days, at least, because I am talking about, Good God, I bet this is 10 years ago, if that would make sense. In the very, very early days, um, mm-hmm. I really liked what Forza had done with sound. Um, but anyways, going even further back from that, in, in, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the first game that I really spent a lot of time with. And I think it was called Project Gotham. Yep. Project Gotham, which allowed for some customization, had a really cool car selection. Was this, It was still arcade esque but you could still go out and race and it was still a pretty fun uh and competitive game but um anyways for what that's worth I, that was that was the first game that really that, that captured me in that sense uh for for what it's worth um if if forza sounds were what really stuck to your mind all these years uh their sound guy is actually now working with polyphony on gran turismo uh, no kidding mike Cavizial. he's uh he's a super nice guy i met him at e3 last year and just very down to earth and very very passionate about what he does like he's he's a music he's a, he's 
he's a born and bred sound guy. Yeah. Uh, and he really takes the job. Sorry, seriously. what was his name? Mike? Uh, Mike Cavizio. Mike Cavizio. Well, Mike, you did a fantastic job on Forza. <laughs> and maybe, maybe uh, it's polyphony. Mm-hmm. Maybe Polyphony was thinking the same thing that I was, and maybe I'm a little bit right on this, and I'm not afraid to say that right now. So thank you for validating that for me. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on from gaming because right. I obviously we could talk about this for absolutely ever. And I don't want to scare off all the people who came here to talk about cars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so and, and it's perfect because on that, um, GT Planets opened up to a lot of... Um, of car related both news and journalism outside of the just gaming community Mm -hmm. so industry news um, some reviews over the last year or so can you tell us kind of what the future plans are for this side of the site and its focus uh i i can't tell you too much about that Uh um Uh but uh i mean we we've been getting a really good response from that uh you know because we started as a, a gaming site about cars specifically Naturally, our members wanted to talk about other things than these games, especially given the, the launch cycle of Gran Turismo games. Yeah, uh, right, right. And so, uh, you know, people talk about their cars and they're they're very passionate about that. And it's always been a very active part of our community. Mm-hmm. So we thought, you know, it'd be silly to not take advantage of that. And covering the, the car stuff, it started with news that we could more overtly tie to gaming. But since then, we've we've discussed a lot of stuff that, you know, has almost no ties whatsoever with with gaming, and we started doing car reviews. Our uh, our main UK scribe Andrew uh, came back to GT Planet from another outlet where he had been doing car reviews in the UK, and and now he's been doing those for us for over a year now, uh, and you know, driven all sorts of things from a from a McLaren down to more family oriented vehicles. Oh, wow. Uh, at least until McLaren makes a family car, and then we can maybe drive that too. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You have to Everybody else is making an SUV. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's a yeah, very astute uh, observation. You're very right on that. They have to get into that game. That's where the industry is going. Yeah. If, if Lotus is doing it, then... Uh, <laughs> Wait, is Lotus doing that? Really? Lotus is talking about doing an SUV. No kidding. Wow. But, wow. Yeah. Seeing Lamborghini in the game, I mean... Wait, Ferrari is not in the game technically yet. I mean, you can't no. consider the FF or oh, what's the what's it called now? It's not the oh, FF anymore. Alphabet Soup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. GTC for Luso. Right? That's right. Yes. That is exactly it. Yeah. Nice. Well done. They are the outliers, Lotus. And yeah, I mean, Aston's got to get it. Aston, yeah, Aston's got to get in there. Mm-hmm. Claren's mm-hmm. got to get in there. I mean, they're all going to get in there anyways. I mean, we, I, I make jokes, but... It's good that Porsche made the Cayenne. Like, I, I don't mm-hmm. care if people mm-hmm. hate that statement. Like, Agreed. It, it, no, it kept the company, it's made the company more profitable. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, we supply the masses with what they want so the purists can have what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so in terms of reviews, I know that you, so you had some time in a Veloster Turbo recently. I did. Maybe just as a little snippet into this side of what GT Planet's about. Maybe give us just a little bit of information on that before we move into what um, future of automotive state looks like. Sure. Uh, so I, I'm going to have to talk about gaming somewhat with the Veloster Please because do. it's yeah. Uh, yeah. it's actually sort of integral to how I found myself in Austin mm-hmm. driving this new car. Okay. Uh, 
the Veloster, the, so the Turbo and the N both showed up in Detroit uh, back in January, right? Yep. And simultaneously showed up in Forza 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was that was pretty cool. And um, Alex from, uh, from Ketchum, uh, so Hyundai's PR company? Yes, yes, yes it is, yes. Uh, just making sure I haven't somehow mixed up the details there. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Alex reached out and mentioned it to us, and there was a contest going with something involving the, the car and the game. And we had covered it, talked about it, and then uh, you know, a short while later, he mentioned, oh, well, the, the car is actually being launched. And you know, you guys being in the position that you're in where you've already driven it in a game and, and you cover both worlds, you should come and drive it. And that it, makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it, it absolutely it does. Did and who am I to say no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, Austin is not an awful place from what I've heard, and, and why not go and drive some fun? I, I, I'm interested though. So, Veloster Turbo, uh, full transparency for me is that I've never been attracted to it aesthetically. I've always okay. had a hard, t- I've always had a hard time with it. But then I saw the new design, and it, maybe it's just a sign of me getting old. But I'm like, ah, oh, God, I just I still don't want to like it. But there's something about it that seemed a bit more attractive. And maybe if that was the first iteration of it, I may have liked it right out of the gate. But there's this, now there's this long standing kind of stigma of oh, it's, a, it's a Veloster. I'm not interested in it. But so tell me, is, you know, is it something that I could be sold on? Uh, I think so. Um, mind you, I haven't driven. uh it's prime competitors. Uh, I haven't driven the GTI mm-hmm. or the new Civic Si, uh, but going on the opinions of the other folks, the other automotive journalists that were there, um, Hyundai is Hyundai has really uh, really improved this one. Because I, I mean, so I, I'm I'm different from you in the sense that I always had this guilty pleasure kind of like the first gen <laughs> yeah, Veloster. Yeah, I think it is polarizing. It like, yeah, ah, it, there's there's some really odd angles, but I wanted yeah. to like it, but yeah. it. it just wasn't that great of a drive unfortunately mm-hmm. it was it was an accent with funkier clothing right uh, well, and and also i admit i've never driven one so you know take my opinion with a grain of salt i uh i went and took an auto share the day before i went to go to austin and i took a first gen one out just mm. to get a baseline smart yeah uh and yeah. <laughs> but uh <laughs> i but, want i'm gonna go back and take just that sound bite and and i want that to be what what's what goes basically up against every statement about the veloster first gen <laughs> i'm so sorry alex no no it's okay because um, i think it's important that the evolution of it is has gone the way that it has and, yeah and i think that's the that's really like the important part of and, that that noise and, and i think the other important thing and talking about crossovers again is now hyundai has the the kona and that oh, sort right. of, of course, yeah. That that nails that part of the segment. So they were able to make the the new Veloster more of a, like a a personal, more sporty car, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like it's compromised nearly as much. Uh, it had insanely grippy tires on the uh, they were um, PS4s. Yeah, Michelin yeah. PS4s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would um, make sense. And the gold you know, standard. It, it it felt really good. Um, and I think Hyundai knows that now it can just focus on like this pure hot hatch kind of approach. And then the N, I mean, that looks really, really interesting. Yeah, it, I, I, I saw it yesterday at um, the Straight Pipes Cars and Coffee. Mm-hmm. And I 
I caught myself looking back at it a few times. What am I doing? What are you looking at, Trevor? And there, there it was. I mean, also the color. I don't know. I, I know it's their hero color, but it was clearly the same hero color that, of the one that was there. And it's that kind of off eggshell blue kind of color and some pretty wild. Was it red trim? Red, like red striping and, yeah. and highlights. Uh, you can't help but look at it or can't help but not look at it. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved to have heard it fired up because I've heard that it sounds quite good, too. And then and then, of course, there's the reviews from everyone who's driven it that say that it's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that. I mean, there's the uh, the ex BMW M man behind it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm really excited for it. And, and I think it's great to see these sort of things where, you know, like this is this is Hyundai. Like they're focusing on this enthusiast portion of the uh of the automotive world right and they came they came from the pony and and <laughs> you know with all due respect the uh korean manufacturers with hyundai and kia have found their way in a very similar fashion to uh, the struggle that japanese manufacturers had when they entered the north american market as well that um you know there was a lot of distrust for the products and some of the early products were really awful on mm-hmm. the Japanese side. And I think some of the early Korean products were really awful in the early days too. And they're just getting through that. They worked through all the kinks and now they're, they're killing it and they're doing fantastic. They're doing a fantastic job in really producing some interesting products. There's some hits and misses, but you look at the stinger and the stinger is, I think a, a total home run, even though I haven't driven it from a stylistic perspective and just like sheer stats and the reviews sound fantastic maybe wrong segment at wrong time to get into a midsize um, sedan, but this is why I think hot hatch is great. And the European market has always done tremendously well with that. And the North American market, I think is with the right amount of intensity of kind of marketing push, I think can kind of revive a bit of that too. So you're seeing it Civic Type R, you're seeing Focus RS, you're seeing, I mean, the Fiesta ST unfortunately goes away, but, <laughs> um, and then the Veloster as well. So anyways, okay, well, that's really interesting. And so you will be, we'll be able to see a review up of it on Planet GT soon. Or sorry, GT Planet, oh my God, I did it. I did it, I knew I was gonna do it, <laughs> of GT Planet. Actually, the review is up. It's up, okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, so we can uh, find that kind of uh, within, is there a review section? I had, haven't even looked that far through. You know, we actually do not have a dedicated automotive review section. We have okay. one for the gaming side, but I mean, if right. you if you search if you go to the main... GT Planet Veloster review, right. you will, of course, you will yeah. get that hit. And well, then we also have a, a secondary article that I wrote a little bit later comparing it to the one in the game. Because uh, of, of course. course. Yes. Of course. I mean, the, the thing is, I found myself in this... Um, it's really easy to get into the a rabbit hole on GT Planet, and admittedly, <laughs> admittedly, it, it hasn't been a site that I have frequented. Um, you know, the competition is so fierce to get anybody's attention online, and so I've got my go tos. And mm-hmm. GT Planet just wasn't it wasn't it until I started doing some research, and I was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> I'm really I'm really impressed with what you guys are up to, and I'm a bit sheepish about saying that it's taking me this long because it's been around for so long, but it's starting to open up because, again, as I admitted earlier, I just haven't been a, a gamer throughout the course of my life. I've played a lot of games, and it's certainly been why I bought systems. I bought systems so I could play games, sorry, racing games and simulators, and that was it. And yeah. it drove a lot of my buddies crazy. They'd come over. I'm like, so I have these four racing games, and that's it. If you want to play video games, that's what we're going to do. 
And then I had kids and it all went away. Uh, <laughs> it'll be back. It'll be back. Okay. So do go and check out the Veloster Turbo review um, and written by Kyle. Yep. Any video yep. content or written form? No, all written. Right. Uh, video stuff coming maybe someday? Video stuff is in the pipeline. We we, cool. we have to do that. Uh, it's just a big commitment and a lot of time and money that gets sunk into it. It is. I, uh, I did a really cool event uh, back in October uh, with Microsoft. They flew us to the Silverstone circuit oh, in the no UK way. Wow. Uh, to the Porsche Experience Center. Okay. And we drove a bunch of Porsches around the racetrack. That sounds awful. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awful, awful right, stuff. Right-hand drive, left-hand drive. Right-hand drive. Uh-huh. Uh, and actually really easy to get used to, um, possibly because of video games. Hey, there you uh, go. Yeah. But the only issue I had, they were all uh, PDK. Okay, uh, that the, helps. The that only helps. issue that I had was going to reverse to park is that I'd keep hitting the door. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But outside of that, it was actually really easy. But um, no, video syncing everything up with all the GoPros from that event was, uh, I, I, I had never done it before then. And, and so I see all the work that goes into that. So those like one man shows on YouTube that, that they do all this stuff. Wow. Yeah. That is dedication. It's a whole other skill set that you have to learn and become very proficient at if mm-hmm. you don't want the internet to hate you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, they're, they're a lot less uh, forgiving than if it's written. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's very, <laughs> very true. Yeah. People are lazy and they, I think they'd much rather watch video than uh, read in a lot of cases, but then, you know, you have your keyboard warriors, which I think we could probably do a whole show on just based on the whole community online when it comes to gaming and racing and just the flames that I see brewing out of that, but we won't touch on it. <laughs> <laughs> we won't touch on it. Okay, yeah. because we're getting to um, about fifty-six minutes here. Wait, we've been, wow, yeah, really? we've been rolling on it. Oh, geez. I do want to ask you about um, some of the future state of automotive, and the most important question that we touched on before we started recording is the one that I want to return to, which mm-hmm. is, what do you think about all the speculation that our youth simply aren't going to be buying cars, or going to be using car sharing services, and simply not interested interested in driving? So to borrow from the great guys over at Driving While Awesome. How do we stoke that fire of automotive enthusiasm in enthusiasm in them uh, to keep this whole niche alive and well? I mean, you, you're so closely tied to this and the relationship between that online and offline world, to be cliche. Um, wh- what are you seeing? How, like, where, what's the crystal ball over on Kyle's side say? Uh, so, so, so two things about that. I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. I had no idea we were that. No, it's good. Uh, Go for it. Yeah. So uh, a few weeks ago, I was at Mosport for the uh, the race weekend, um, mm-hmm. and what impressed me was that there were a ton of people our age, uh, sorry, younger than me. We're really old. I, I'm uh, my, I'm turning thirty two at the end of this month. Okay, we're close. So we're so close. we're we're, close. We're, but, we're so young. We're but, so young. But there's people like you know barely out of high school that are at this race weekend, and they're there with all their friends and their girlfriends. They're camping out for the weekend. Wow. And I think. The thing is, is like the the idea that that generation isn't really that interested in cars probably stems from the social media generation. And I get the feeling that the people that were there that weekend don't really care about social media, at least not to the same amount. And, and I, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I, I just think that there's a lot of people who are just more interested in being there as opposed to telling everybody they were there. <laughs> I say that as I posted pictures 
from yeah, the races yeah, because yeah. of we, course we find our balance uh, in doing yeah, that too. Yeah, though. but I I think there is an important side there that is just not being uh, represented, um, where there, there's people that care about it. And then the the other side of that is uh, the gaming thing. I, I mean, it tends to skew younger, right? And then than yeah. the average car enthusiast. And I've had my steering my racing rig set up once and once every so often in our place and i've had people come over and try it mm-hmm. and these are people who come over from like my stepdad to cousins and anybody who tries it even if they're not really into video games gets out of it with a smile on their face and, and i think cars again we, we talked about it earlier how racing itself is so expensive i think that is the big barrier here and if you can get somebody into it and experience it then you, you're probably gonna have them hooked. I saw a little like six-year-old kid at the at Mosport. Uh, the radical guys because the radical cup was racing. Yeah. They, they like sat the little six-year-old in the car and started it and had him just look around Whoa. and what it was like. And I was like, that kid is hooked. For oh, life. he's hooked for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's such a memorable moment. Yeah, and so I think that is is key is just getting people into it, whether it's games or real life. Sure, and that transition. I mean. It- in urban centers, it's clearly more difficult just because of access and roads. And, and for the most part, driving in the city is awful. <laughs> and, and so I understand why people don't want cars in the city. But getting out of the city is one thing. And then having a real and pure driving experience is another. And if there's a way for games and simulation to be able to encourage that um, at an earlier stage in people's lives. I mean, I think it's doing a tremendously great thing for automotive and and racing and just general enthusiasm. I don't think to this day I would have been as into cars as I am now if I hadn't had a couple of different systems and some racing games that I killed a lot of time when I was, you know, maybe a single guy just out of college and working my first few jobs. I logged a lot of hours playing and that was that that was my kind of introduction into the world of racing. And I think it gave me a, enough confidence to want to go and try it in real life. And I knew that it was close enough to the real world as as it was simulation that my yeah, my confidence was there. And when I got out onto the track, it didn't feel like such a foreign experience that I was terrified of it because it's such it can be such an intimidating oh, yeah. experience to go to a racetrack and sit in a car and be like, nope, off you go onto the, onto the, the, the full track at most sport, uh, do some hot laps and watch these cars rip past you. Even though you know the rules, <laughs> it's very different than a video game. But uh, there were things that I, that I did really learn. And, and also the things that you learn from the real world and take back into the gaming world. When I sat down in my friend's rig and actually had a, a chance to play, project cars and i'd been in some real cars and and be able to translate that into the gaming i was like oh well i'm not really all that awful even though it's been years since i've gone and done this so anyways um i i totally agree with you and i think that uh, there are a lot of youth that are very interested in cars and i think the crossover between the gaming world and the real world is only but helping to make all of that um a little bit more real is as weird as that sounds between the two. No, no, absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm all for it. Anyways, I think it's a great thing. And I, I'm, I'm so happy that um, doing what you're doing and what 
GT Planet is doing is helping everybody in this automotive world stay as enthusiastic and passionate about it as we all are. I think uh, I've quoted this or referenced it so many times in the past few years. Uh, There was an old advertisement uh, in Japan for Gran Turismo 5 right around when it launched. And all it is is just like a 15 second clip and it's a bunch of model cars just going down a slide. And it's just a, a singing chorus in the background saying, we love cars, we love cars. And I think that's, if I could give anybody that message, I think that's what I want for, for GT Planet. And I think what, what the team wants is just like, we, we just love cars. We, we don't really care what car in particular you prefer. Just yeah. As long as you like cars, that's great. That's awesome. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for, uh, for being here and doing this episode with me. I want to thank everybody else out there for listening, subscribing, rating, reviewing the show. Um, don't be afraid to reach out via email. If you have any questions for Kyle too, you know I want you to be able to find him. So maybe Kyle, can you give us a bit of an idea of where we can find you, where we can find GT Planet? Share as much as you as you can uh, to help people find you. Uh, so the easiest way to find me is you know just on gtplanet.net. Uh, mm-hmm. The forums there is where you can find me. I have a really silly username from when I was 14. <laughs> yes, tell us what is it? What is it? Come no. on. Uh, so it's it's Slipstream, but it's spelt S-L-I-P-Z-T-R-E-M. Um, okay. Well, so, that's not that bad. That's so, not, I thought it was going to be something far more embarrassing. Yeah, like X. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. We all know the ones. <laughs> so that that name in particular you can find me on twitter with that uh and and yeah and that would be and facebook obviously we have a a gt planet page as well which is very active so yeah that's where you can hit up gt planet amazing find them all over the interwebs and for me you can find me on facebook twitter and instagram at the bucket seat you can send me emails at trevor at the bucket seat.ca send me questions, episode ideas, or even any guests that you think should be lined up for the show. I'd happily, uh, I'd happily humor all of those. So thank you all again, Kyle. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you for having me. So this has been episode 48. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this has been the Bucket Seat Podcast. Mm-hmm.